2: Everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Animes Mono League Podcast. I'm Steve Seiper and I'll be joined by Lucas Vlahos, Ken Levin, and Thomas Henderson in a little bit. But first, we're going to just jump right into things, and we're going to go over uh, this week in the Arizona Fall League. All right, so first up, and I guess, no, not I guess, definitely most important here, is Brett Beatty. And he went 6 for 19 with two RBI, two walks, and five strikeouts. And on the season, that leaves him hitting 258, 351, 394 in 18 games with 17 hits, four doubles, a triple, a homer, eight RBI, nine walks, 27 strikeouts, and one stolen base in as many attempts. Next up is Carlos Cortez. And this week, he went one for nine with a run scored, two walks, five strikeouts, and one unsuccessful stolen base attempt. So on the year, Cortez is hitting 220, 365, 317 in 13 games with nine hits, two doubles, a triple, four RBI, nine walks, 12 strikeouts, and that one unsuccessful stolen base attempt. One quad stealing. Next is Wilma Reyes, and Reyes went 4 for 13 with a run scored, 2 RBI, a walk, and 5 strikeouts. So on the year, Wilma Reyes is hitting two hundred twenty six, three hundred thirty nine, three hundred two in 15 games with 12 hits, 2 doubles, a triple, 5 RBI, 9 walks, 12 strikeouts, and 4 stolen bases in 5 attempts. Hayden Singer... He went one for eight with three strikeouts this week. And on the year, that leaves him hitting 207, 324, 241 in nine games with six hits, one double, no triples, no homers, no RBI, four walks, seven strikeouts, and no stolen base attempts. On the pitching side now, Garrison Bryant pitched three innings this week. He gave up... Three runs on five hits, a walk, and four strikeouts. And he also threw a wild pitch, and he hit a batter. So on the year, he started two games and has pitched in relief for two games and has thrown 10 innings in total. He's given up eight hits. He's allowed four runs, all earned, which is a 360 ERA. He's walked four, and he struck out 11. Next is Connor Gray, and this week he pitched three innings. He allowed two hits, did not give up any runs, did not walk anybody, and he struck out three. So on the year, Gray has pitched in four games, two of which were starts, and he's thrown 12 innings. And in those innings, he's allowed five runs, four of which were earned, on 10 hits, five walks, and 11 strikeouts, which translates to an even three ERA. Next up is Colin Holderman, and this week, Holdeman threw three innings. He allowed one hit, he did not give up any runs, he walked one, and he did not strike at anybody. So on the year, Holdeman has appeared in seven games, all relief outings, and he's thrown 6.1 innings. He's given up eight runs, all earned, on nine hits, four walks, and four strikeouts, which translates to a... Unsightly, 11.37 ERA. And last but not least is Brian Matwire. And this week, Matwire threw two innings. He allowed one hit, did not give up any runs. He walked one, he struck out five, and he also uncorked a wild pitch and hit a batter. So on the season to date, Mature has appeared in six games, all relief outings, and he has... Accrued 5.2 innings, and he's given up 5 runs, all earned, on 6 hits, 8 walks, and 9 strikeouts, which translates to a 7.94 ERA. Alright, and now, this week, we are going to review the 2021 Brooklyn Cyclone season. And Brooklyn has always kind of been the crown jewel of the Mets minor league system. Uh, you know, A has been a mess ever since the, the Wilpons relationship with the Norfolk Tides. Um, what's a good way to put it? Sunk, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, they bounced around from New Orleans to Buffalo to Las Vegas. And now finally Syracuse, where it looks like they're going to stay for a long time. But, you know, Syracuse is still a relative newcomer here. And I don't want to disparage the city of Syracuse too much. But, you know. It's not a destination, if you know what I mean. Same thing with Binghamton. Uh Saint Lucie, it's been around for decades and from what I hear it's a nice place to to head down during spring training, but you know, I, I can't say I've been there myself and I can't say that I've ever heard anything particularly positive about Saint Lucie either. I haven't heard bad things, but from what I know it's it's just a place, you know, it's it's not terrible, it's not great, it just kind of is. Brooklyn, on the other hand, it's Brooklyn. You know, there's there's the joke that, you know, Brooklyn must win because um, the Will Ponds Mets had a propensity of sending prospects that might not necessarily need to go to Brooklyn at the time, you know, short A, uh, you know, players that might have been challenged a little more in low A. But as far as I understand, the rationale was twofold. yes. It did help the Cyclones, but that aside, it also rewarded the players. I mean, think about it. They're humans, and like I said before, those are the places. You know, they are what they are. They have their pros. They have their cons, but none of them are Brooklyn. Same thing, you know, with the cities that aren't affiliated with the team anymore. You know, uh, Columbia, um, Kingsport, you know, maybe with the exception of Las Vegas, <laughs> you could definitely have a good time in Las Vegas. I wouldn't know. I've never been there. But, you know, be it cultural things, culinary things, whatever, you can't compare the other teams in the system to Brooklyn. And I know that guys that played in Brooklyn, you know, they generally counted it as high points in, in their careers and in their lives, really. You know, a guy from Alabama, a guy from Mississippi, a guy from just random places of the country, and now they're in Brooklyn? It's like, hell yeah. But long story short, Brooklyn is great. We all know that. But unfortunately, the Brooklyn Cyclones were not. Um, The problem is that they were supposed to be. They were supposed to be the chosen team. They were supposed to be the team that won the first high-A championship. And they were not far from it really. In the inaugural season as the Mets High A affiliate, they went forty eight and seventy, which was dead last in the high A East Northeast, twenty two games behind the Hudson Valley Renegades. To be fair, the entire division was a clusterfuck and everyone was below five hundred except for the Renegades, but the Cyclones were the worst of the worst, so yeah, woo. Uh, the main story of the twenty twenty one Cyclones were the big three, Brett Beatty, Francisco Alvarez, and Ronnie Mauricio. Lucas spoke about Beatty in some depth last week, so I'm just kinda kinda gloss over him pretty 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 quickly here, but suffice to say he had a great season. He looked great physically, you know, just great. Uh I know Ken is gonna wanna take some well deserved victory laps in regards to Francisco Alvarez, so I'll leave him uh to to talk more about Alvarez in a little bit. I'll tackle Ronnie Mauricio here. His season was disappointing and impressive at the same time. He played exactly 100 games at Brooklyn. He hit two hundred forty two, two 290, 449. The good, 14 doubles, 5 triples, 19 home runs. The bad, low average, uh, low OBP, and a 24-to-101 walk-to-strikeout ratio. And the defense is very hit or miss. You know, sometimes he'd look like Cal Ripley Jr. Sometimes he'd look like Derek Cheater. He is still just 20. He was one of the youngest players in the league. So that's not an excuse because other players that young did have good seasons. But it just kind of clarifies things. Um, Lucas has mentioned plenty of times when we've brought up Mauricio. And it'll definitely be part of our discussion when we talk about Mauricio when we start doing our top prospect list, but it's it's a very high variance profile. It's a very uh, exciting profile that has a very high reward if everything pans out, but it also has a very high likelihood of things not working out. I mean, look at Shervian Newton, who was a very well regarded player. Uh, you know, I don't want to say last year because obviously there was no last year, but you know, two years ago, two two and a half, three years ago, whatever. And at this point, he's basically fallen off a cliff. And he was the same kind of profile as Mauricio. So if it works out, very, very good things could happen. But if it doesn't, you know, not. <laughs> um, besides the big three, JT Ginn, he also spent most of his season in Brooklyn. And arguably, I guess, he's the, the Mets' top prospect. That'll actually be an interesting discussion. Uh, speaking of offseason prospect list and everything. Who gets ranked higher, Matthew Allen or JT Ginn? But you know, the the guy that just had Tommy John surgery, or the guy who just came back from it. Um, but Ginn, he threw about 30 innings or so in St. Lucie and then he got promoted to the Cyclones in July and he finished out his year there and he had a 3.38 ERA in 53.1 innings. I saw Ginn twice, once in his Brooklyn debut and then another game in, in mid-September, near the near the end of the season, it might actually have been the last game of the year. I really don't remember, but I came really a little underwhelmed. But at the same time, it's important to remember two things. These were his first innings, his first couple of innings back from Tommy John surgery. And, you know, not every pitcher is going to pan out and become... Matt Harvey, Zach Wheeler, Noah Syndergaard, uh, Stephen Matz. You know the Mets have been extremely lucky when you think about it in terms of these things. Um, you know I'm not saying that again is not going to become a good pitcher, but you know we we are kind of spoiled and we kind of I guess have to get out of that that thinking that any pitching prospect is going to become a, a somebody. Um, but. Specifically what left me underwhelmed again was the lack of giddy up on his fastball. It sat 92, 93, it touched 94 and 95 a handful of times. And in today's velocity obsessed world, you know, if you're not impressing with the radar gun, it's like, dude, what's going on here? Um in college he was able to able to touch the upper 90s when he had to, but generally he lived in that velocity band that he's in now, so that's good. Um it's not like he lost velocity on his fastball or anything like that. He's just not being able to reach back and really throw it a little bit harder when necessary so far, you know, this season. Maybe he gets that oomph back. Maybe he doesn't. But honestly, it's not the end of the world if he doesn't. It would definitely help. Don't get me wrong. But the thing is, he's a guy that gets so many ground balls. His fastball has a lot of sync to it. And that covers up for, you know, the fewer strikeouts. So it's a good... I don't want to say Plan B, but it's a good you know thing to to have that all of those that heavy fastball and all those ground balls. Uh, outside of those guys, you know, Brooklyn had a couple of other interesting players. Jalen Palmer, he got promoted mid year. Um, spent some time there. Obviously, you know, he's a he's a very highly athletic prospect, which is great. But even better, he is a Brooklyn boy. So you know, a local kid being able to play. In his home park, in effect. You know, sweet. Uh, Jose Perosa, Wilma Reyes. They spent a little time in Brooklyn. Uh, Adrian Hernandez, who for a while was on the back of our prospect lists. He played in Brooklyn, but unfortunately he he abruptly retired. Um, I heard some whispers that he was kind of hard to deal with. But, you know, he was a young guy. We'll probably know exactly. We'll never know the specifics or anything, but... I hope he's happy in his future endeavors, I guess. Um, Jose Budo and Brian Mature, they both kind of have limited upsides because of their stuff, but they had solid seasons. And, you know, definitely guys to keep an eye on and see how they do in 2022. So, I mean, there was a lot of talent on that broken roster. It just didn't translate into wins. Why? I don't know. I wish I did. But... You know That aside, I know that I had fun at every one of those Cyclones games in Connie Island and in Jersey that I went to. And I can't wait for the 2022 season to get here. So let's go Cyclones.
0: If Double A Binghamton, who we talked about last week, was all about one player in Mark Vientos pretty much because Beatty came up and only played a few games. Not a few games. He played a handful of games. I think it was like 40 off the top of my head. And Mauricio really came up for like a week. It was really about Mark Bientos and his breakout and how he's going to be in Syracuse <laughs> next year and how he's going to be someone who has, a, who has a chance to make major league contributions next year and if not, the year after that. High A Brooklyn was about three players. Um, their record was substandard is the best way to put it. Um, a little disappointing because they simply did not pitch like they could not pitch. They did not have really anyone to get guys out consistently at any level. Um, And it really hurt them in terms of competitiveness and winning ballgames. But that's also the mets minor league system in general. The pitching is very thin. It's Matthew Allen, and he was out all year. And JT Ginn came back late for Brooklyn, and he was just not very impressive. Um, Which, again, I don't want to... We've talked about this a lot, but I don't want to basically say JT Ginn is bad or JT JT Ginn is like the injury washed him, the Tommy John surgery he had, because it's not fair to him. But also he was not, he could have been better this year. And also I'm just happy he came out of this year alive. And I would like to see him next year with a full year under his belt, but that would probably not be in Brooklyn and it shouldn't be. But yeah, outside of him, the pitching was really no one to get excited about. And the real place to get excited with Brooklyn was three players on offense. And those three players are the three best players in the Mets system in Brett Beatty, Francisco Alvarez and Ronnie Mauricio. Um, what starting with Mauricio, um, Mauricio has the, he's the least, um, he's the least complete player. I think, um, his defense is up and down, uh, Though, I did see him live, and when I saw him, he was very good defensively. He looked like he could play shortstop at any level, which is a great thing. And also, I would assume that helps push him to other positions and makes him play other positions well. Like, he'd probably be a way better third baseman than you would like than you would expect, or I don't think he would really play second. I profile him more as a third baseman, but um, he could probably play second. I just would like him at third. I think he has the arm for it. Um... But Mauricio he earned a call up to Binghamton and he was he legitimately earned it though there's some swing and miss in his game there's still some there's still some stuff you need to work with with him he is definitely not a finished product and if the Mets decide that their best course of action in the offseason is to make a big trade like they did with Francisco Lindor I think Mauricio is the higher the high profile name they should trade I would not really enjoy if they traded um, Brett Beatty, who is the second guy in this list, or Francisco Alvarez, who I'm going to put at the, I guess, de facto first. But Beatty, to transition to him, really took steps forward into becoming the next, like, one of the next big prospects that you would like to see out of the Mets system. And um, it was all the bat. Like, Beatty played a fine third base, and he that, he dabbled in the outfield. But he just, his bat took steps that I didn't expect going into the year. And it made me very comfortable thinking about him as a future prospect and thinking about him rather safely. I don't think he's necessarily a lock because I don't think a lock exists. Like I just don't think guys are guaranteed to be major leaguers, no matter how good they are as prospects or no no matter what things happen every single time. There's not every single time, but you see it, you see it that guys flame out when they shouldn't like to go back to like F Mart for the Mets, like, he was supposed to be the next big thing and it just didn't work out. We've done him as like a uh, remembering some guys. Oh yeah. That guy is the segment, but yeah. Beatty took steps forward in Brooklyn that you really like to see. And the next steps for Beatty after that is just continuing what he was doing at Syracuse and continuing what he was doing in Binghamton and making major league contributions sooner rather than later. Um, But the number one guy for Brooklyn and the real reason for me to get excited here, is Francisco Alvarez. Alvarez was just, he was a 19-year-old playing against people way older than him and just being one of the better hitters in the league. Like, he, he was excellent at the dish all season. And to be 19 and to be a catcher and to do that, to me, is wildly impressive. It's some of the more impressive things you'll see in a, in a minor league system. And, of course, the caveat to this is catcher is difficult. Catcher is catching prospects. I don't want to say they they always end up bad or they end up worse than they should, but there are not a lot of good catchers in the major leagues, and that's for a reason. And that's because it's hard. And those dudes end up either flaming out or moving spots or just not being able to do both or not developing both at the same time. But so far, Francisco Alvarez has done that he has taken those next steps with the bat and he stayed a good defensive catcher. That doesn't mean it will continue. That means his his development could go sideways. And you see it where sometimes there will be highly touted catching prospects who just don't end up elite catchers in the game. And there's just so... The elite catchers in the game are just so few and far in between. And with Buster Posey retiring, there's even less of them now. So if the Mets do have one of the guys who develops into one of the next big thing catchers, then there's no way you could get rid of him. And this is going to be the season. This Brooklyn season is the one where everyone realized that he's one of the top prospects, not only in the Mets system, which he might be the number one prospect in the Mets system, but one of the top prospects in the game. Like he is the, I think he is that good because he simply, when you factor in both sides of the ball and how solid he is. And when you, factor in his age and you factor in the fact that he's going to be at Binghamton next year at 20, that's impressive. And there's a lot to dream on with him and they should not rush him. And I don't want them to rush him. And while James McCann has not been, at least last year was not a suitable catcher replacement for him. I mean, a a suitable catcher in the major league sense. And he was quite bad and they need to figure out something for the major league level. They should very much make sure that Francisco Alvarez is developing the way he needs to and needs to take all the time just because he's good. And I think there's something there with him for real. So with so far with the Mets minor league systems that we've done, I mean, the teams that we've done and we've had the, we've gone through the different levels. Brooklyn is no different though. I think there's a few better players here, but Brooklyn is no different. It is a tale of a few players and everyone else being guys who are there, who are not necessarily taking steps to be contributors on the Mets. And while that's fine in the short term because Alvarez and Beatty and Mauricio and Ginn pitched a lot this year and didn't get hurt, which is a great thing. You need more depth than that. And we'll see that when our top when our top 25 prospect list comes out. And it's, 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 it's real thin once you get past like 10 or 15. But yeah, Brooklyn is a tale of three players and those three players were excellent and they were great all year long. And then, Two of them moved on to greener pastures and one of them stayed to just continue to hit because he was very young. And if they moved him to double A at 19, I would have been very mad at them. So really, Brooklyn was about those three players and how if they are Mets in the future and Mets contributors in the future, then it will be, this year will be the year where every, not only Mets prospect people knew about him, but Mets fans in general know about him. Because... This is when they got put on the map. Was in 2021. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business.
1: Sports is and not as dog. simple you know as bringing a bunch of big names together.
0: I didn't want to do another stomp you
2: out speech. It opened so, up so
1: many more doors. The show is
2: called The, the Deal. deal.
1: Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hello everyone. Uh, This week we're going to discuss uh, and review the 2021 Brooklyn Cyclones season, um, which in many ways was similar to the uh, seasons of the Syracuse Mets and the Binghamton Rumble Ponies that we've discussed the last few weeks. Uh, So, like the aforementioned minor league teams that we've discussed in weeks past, the Brooklyn Cyclones were not very good from a wins and losses perspective. They went 48 and 70, which was good for last in the high A East North division and was the third worst record in all of the high A East. So, so not very good. Um, that being said, there was a ton of prospect talent on this team, and um, many of them put together either successful seasons or saw uh, new talents develop um, that hadn't previously been there um, during their time in Brooklyn. Um, so yeah, we'll just talk about a couple guys. Uh, first person that we will discuss is Brett Batty. Um, you know, by now we've talked him to death. I, I know I have, um, but he really kind of broke out with with Brooklyn this year. Uh, he was assigned there to start the year having, you know, only played ha- like three quarters of a, of a minor league season and um, really showed that he belonged against, um, you know, significantly older talent for the first time in his career, uh, being almost two years Younger than the the average player in the High A East division, um, and really performed marvelously. He he hit three hundred nine, three ninety seven, five fourteen, with seven homers, fourteen doubles, and a triple in two hundred nine plate appearances, and walked twenty four times against fifty three strikeouts. Um, so yeah, really, you can't ask for much more than that. He combined um elite plate discipline or very good plate discipline for the level with you know his obvious power and um really performed to a level that he's pretty much universally considered a top 30 or 40 prospect in baseball probably higher um the thing that impressed me i saw a batty once this year um, only made it to a few to a game really <laughs> but uh i saw a batty and the thing that i really took away from watching him is how simple the swing is and um it's just a very simple smooth swing and he gets unbelievable carry if he gets the ball in the air um uh, one of the pitches that he hit uh you could tell he was kind of off balance and um you know off the bat it didn't necessarily seem like it was going to go um as far as it did but the ball just kind of kept up in the air and kept spinning and ended up um you know a homer despite him not having hit it particularly well or particularly strongly um so yeah batty's incredibly impressive and um really it was fun to watch him in brooklyn this year kind of kind of blossom and develop into a, um, you know, elite prospect in baseball. Uh, speaking of elite prospects in baseball, this was really the first time we got to see Francisco Alvarez uh, for a full minor league season, and he really dis- didn't disappoint. Um, this this is what they look like—really good prospects, <laughs> like elite prospects in baseball. That's he's he's proven that he belongs in that conversation of, you know, top 10 or 15 or 20 prospects in baseball. Um, He started the season in St. Lucie and quickly uh, where he was among the youngest players in in, uh, low A and quickly mashed his way to a promotion to high A where he was literally the youngest player in the league and managed to, you know, more than hold his own uh, despite being almost four years younger than the average player. He hit 247, 351, 538 in 333 plate appearances after the promotion with 22 homers, 13 doubles, a triple, and walked 40 times against 82 strikeouts, which was uh, good for a 12% walk rate against a 24.6% K rate. so yeah there was some swing and miss but he's also significantly younger than everybody he's playing against and he's drawing his fair share of walks and hitting an enormous amount of power 290 iso um that's nearing elite territory um so he's he's another guy who i I got to see this year and really there's there's not much um there's really nothing bad to say about his offensive game the swing is super simple lightning quick um, I expect him to hit for a, a decently high average moving forward. And, um, yeah, we, have said it to death on the podcast by now. Um, this, this, guy is one of the best prospects in baseball and really put himself on the map for Brooklyn this year. Um, a similar prospect who didn't have quite as good a year. Um, but you know, had some positive developments in his game was Ronnie Mauricio. Um, so Mauricio, didn't perform quite as well uh, on a top line stats uh, level. He hit 242, 290, 449, uh, which was a 94 WRC, plus in 420 plate appearances. Uh, but he did hit 19 home runs and really manifested some of the power that people uh, have often thought or projected would come later down the line, um, 20, 19 home runs is by far almost five times the, um, most he's ever hit in a season before. And, you know, that's definitely good to see. He came into camp looking much, much bigger than we had previously seen and, uh, even got bigger as the season went on. Um, now uh, there are some knocks on his offensive game, as, as we've discussed, Uh, he really doesn't walk a lot and he strikes out more than you'd like for somebody who doesn't walk a lot. He walked in 5.7% of his plate appearances and struck out in 24, uh, which kept his batting average, you know, well below 250, and, um, you know, his OBP below 300 for the year, which is not ideal. Um, ultimately Mauricio is probably going to have to improve on pitch recognition and, um, you know, making consistent contact, but the power is definitely intriguing and definitely a nice step forward. And, um, I really, I I think there's a good chance that he ends up being at least a, an above average defender at third, um, which, you know, would be a pretty good outcome defensively. So, uh, I'd say overall this year was, positive to almost a push in terms of prospect status for Mauricio, but, um, there definitely were some positive takeaways from his, his season on the pitching side. Uh, two guys that I wanted to discuss. There are two guys that I wanted to discuss. Uh, the first one is JT Ginn. Um, JT Ginn is, you know, I, like liked the pick when he was drafted. Uh, he's always reminded me a little bit of Marcus Stroman. Um, you know, we all know the story by now that he was drafted, needing Tommy John surgery, and um, he was finally able to make his pro debut this year, and generally, you know, perform pretty well, um, if not to the level uh, that you would hope for a guy with his—I don't want to say pedigree, but you know, a guy that they, a guy with the reputation that he has. Um, you know, Gin has never had the, the flashiest fastball, but a solid sinker, a f- very good slider, and um you know, gets a, a ton of ground balls from that combination. Uh really, you know, he was very good having not pitched <laughs> very often. That was really the the only thing you can take away from this season for him is um you know that he, he was able to throw almost a full season's worth of innings, um, following Tommy John surgery. That's a massive victory. Um, in terms of the stuff, it didn't look quite as sharp as I remembered him looking at Mississippi state. Uh, the fastball was more, you know, 90, 93, then 91 to 95. Um, the slider would come and go, but these are all things to be expected coming off Tommy John surgery. And, um, Really, we'll see. Uh, he's looking more like a back-end starter than the, the mid-rotation guy I hoped he would become when they drafted him, but again, we'll see. Uh, another year removed from Tommy John, who knows? Maybe it'll get all start to come together for him. He's definitely going to need to improve on his command because um, with his stuff, the margin for error is pretty thin, given that he doesn't really have a great fast Um, You know, elite fastball from a velocity point of view. Um, He doesn't really miss a lot of bats, so he's going to have a lot of balls in play. He's going to have to be very fine with his pitches, but it's entirely possible that he puts that together. Finally, I'd like to speak about uh, Brian Matoyer, who impressed me a good amount this year pitching out of the bullpen for Brooklyn. Uh, Matoyer has been around for a couple of years, but pairs a... You know, really, really good um, high spin curveball with uh, a cutter fastball thing that sits around 90 to 93 or so, and um, really just had a great season for Brooklyn. He um, threw 33 innings of with a 2.18 ERA, uh, struck out 12.55 per nine, walked 4.36 per nine, Uh, and his peripherals were were fairly good not quite as good as his 2.18 era but you know well under four and um, really the curveball like is a very very good offering and um, yeah he really kind of put himself on the map this year Uh, he's probably going to let's see he ended the season in double a i could imagine he probably goes there uh to start next season but it's not inconceivable to see him to think that he might make the majors at some point next year as part of the reliever churn and um you know that development happened at brooklyn so you know brooklyn wasn't very good um from you know winning games and Uh, putting a compelling product on the field, but they did what they were supposed to do from an organizational standpoint, which was um, help their players improve. So in that way, I'd say Brooklyn's season was definitely successful.
2: All right, everybody, that is our show for the week. And if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from ComplexToQueens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Seipa. Lucas is at Elvlahos343. Ken is at ken Ninety One, And Thomas is at SadMetSeasonSZN. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. Rate and review it. And of course, we all thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week. So until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets.